0: Jane Austen has over 160 preserved letters that are published, and there's over 500 of Charlotte's, and I read all of them. I read their Juvenilia. I read their short works. And pretty soon I got to the place where I was sort of eating, sleeping, and breathing these authors. Siri
1: James is the author of nine critically acclaimed novels, as well as a screenwriter. Our conversation explores Ciri's creative process, which involves a deep immersion in the lives of the real women writers who are the heroines of some of her most successful novels. Steeped in research about the lives and times of her characters, as well as an abiding belief in the power of romantic relationships, Siri's novels explore the inner lives of the women at their center. Her novels about the writers Jane Austen and Charlotte Bronte explore what inspired these mothers of the novel to write. In our conversation, I attempt to turn this question on my guest to explore the story behind the story in her work. I'm Diane McDaniel, and this is Real. Thanks, Siri, for coming in to chat with me today. Thank you for having me. I'm really happy to be here. Excellent. All right, so let's dive right in and talk a little bit about Jane Austen, your character in several of your books. You've you've written three books about Jane Austen in in one way or another. So I wanted to talk about what attracts you to her work, the time in which she lived, and her as a character.
0: Well, it's interesting. I wasn't um, really... uh, very much aware of Jane Austen for years, even though I was an English major in college. And then I had read some of her novels and admired them and never gave her another thought until a couple of decades later when I was watching some of her movies. And the movies are so glorious. They make you want to just step back in time and live inside a Jane Austen novel in that world because they do seem somehow to be a heightened version of life and so romantic. Hmm. We know, of course, that that's not true. It's fantasy, but still, what a great fantasy. Men in breeches who open the door for you and are such gentlemen. And it was a a wonderful portrayal of men and women and their relationships, which still um, is valid to this day. Um, one thing that's wonderful about Jane is that she's a a brilliant observer of people and character and human nature. And she is called the mother of the romance novel for good reason. Um, before she started writing in late 1700s, early 1800s, um, all the, the only novels that featured women were women in peril and they were very overly melodramatic stories. And she did something different. She actually was one of the first people to write in a new genre, which was called the novel, because it was new. Right. It was a novel. It was a novel. And she decided she would write about real people in real circumstances that were familiar, recognizable, and believable. And uh, she was one of the first people to ever do it. And she really got into the feelings and thoughts of her characters, and she doesn't let anybody get an easy ending or an easy reward. Everybody has to work for it. Mm. Everybody has to learn what their mistakes were, um, recognize what they've been doing wrong, fix what they've been doing wrong in order to earn their happy ending. Mm. And so even though some people who don't read Jane Austen... They roll their eyes and just write her off as being someone who writes chick lit or just romance novels. There actually is a lot going on in a Jane Austen novel, and it's fun to read them over and over again. You pick up something new every time. So I loved her characters and her stories. I loved her character arcs, which is something that I try to do in every book I write, Um, And every screenplay I write, the main characters have to be flawed, like every Jane Austen character is. They have to um, learn and grow and change over the course of the story and face a crisis decision at the end where they have to sacrifice, give something up in order to make the leap, the growth spurt that they have to achieve Mm -hmm. to become a worthy person. And every villain in a Jane Austen novel ends badly because they are not self-aware and every hero and heroine becomes aware of what they need to do to fix themselves and that's why they're rewarded Mm -hmm. so so there's besides which she had sparkling wit she was clever the dialogue is brilliant Um, and when you bring them to life in your mind or in a film it's it's really a, a beautiful thing to see and it's fun right Right.
1: And what is it about that time and that place, 19th century England? You've written a couple of books, uh, not the Jane Austen ones, but uh, your book about Jane Eyre and um, the, the Dracula book take place during that time. What, what is it about that time that, that really interests you and, and makes you want to live there while you work with your characters?
0: I really don't know how to answer that. Maybe it's because in some ways... It was simpler we didn't have all this technology taking us away from um human interaction Mm. Uh, maybe because you had to write a long letter to connect with somebody and wait a long time to hear back from them um (laughs) I don't know that i have the right answer to that so you might not want to ask that question <laughs> i kind of got into writing that era and then the more i wrote it the more i learned about it the more it felt um, it made sense to keep writing about that era but i'm interested in a lot of different eras that just happens to be the one i've spent a lot of time on recently right right okay <laughs> You've also
1: performed as Jane Austen, and, uh, and in your books, you've written in her voice. How do you prepare yourself to embody your character?
0: Well, that's an interesting challenge because so many people are familiar with Jane Austen's voice and with Charlotte Bronte's voice. When I wrote The Secret Diaries of Charlotte Bronte, I had to make sure I could sound like Charlotte, so to sound like either of these Women who lived so long ago in a totally different country, who have, you know, a not only a different accent but a a, a different language from our own. Um, I prepped by reading their books over and over and over again, so I could hear their voice in my head. Hmm. Um, I watched everything I could on film, either by them or. Um, any other movies that took place during that era Mm -hmm. and just to hear the way people talked. And I practiced and practiced until I felt that I really got it down and I could hear their voice in my head. I read their letters too. Jane Austen has over 160 preserved letters that are published and there's over 500 of Charlotte's and I read all of them. I read their Juvenilia. I read their short works. And pretty soon I got to the place where I was sort of eating, sleeping, and breathing these authors mm-hmm. and started talking like them to my husband. And <laughs> It's been thrilling because I've had reviewers say that they thought they were reading the work of Jane Austen or they mm-hmm. really felt that it was Charlotte that they were reading. I even had a an email from... A, an English teacher in Italy who said, "I was halfway through your book, Il Diario Perduto di Jane Austen." <laughs> I love it, and I'm so I was so excited to find out that Jane Austen's memoirs were discovered, and that she had this great love with Mr. Frederick Ashworth. So I gave a whole lecture about it to my class the next day. Oh my and goodness! Then I went home and finished the book, and I got to the author's comments on the end, and realized. It was a novel, and I was so embarrassed. And I'm writing to tell you this because, you know, you really affected me in a way. I was so transported. I really believed every word was true. And I couldn't have been more flattered. Yeah. And the fact that she actually chose to write and tell me that was really, really sweet.
1: I think it's also, like, that's what we want
0: for, for Jane. We do. We do. There were so many reviews, and so much fan mail from people who said, thank you for finally giving Jane a romance, for fulfilling my fantasy about her. Mm -hmm. If she was going to fall in love with somebody, I believe it would have been someone just like Mr. Ashford. (laughs) And maybe it happened. Yeah, could be. Could be that you did, (laughs) you uncovered a secret history. (laughs) I felt like I was just channeling Jane, so... (laughs)
1: So let's go back a little bit and talk about your beginnings as a writer. I know that you loved Nancy Drew stories and your father's (laughs) bedtime storytelling, where he always made sure to have a cliffhanger at the end. And I remember that about the Nancy Drew stories as well. In fact, I had to stop reading Nancy Drew chapters in the middle because the end of a chapter always had a cliffhanger, which propelled me into the next chapter. Yes. What made you want to write and to think that you could do it?
0: Um, I think I was always writing and scribbling from the time I was very small, just stories and thoughts. And then um, when I lived in France for a couple of years when I was a little girl with my family, and my father went to London and came back with this big box of all the best in English literature for children. And so that was my sort of lifeline to the English language while living in France. Mm. And I devoured all these books and read them over and over again. And when we came home from France, when I was in sixth grade, our teacher assigned us a really interesting assignment. We took a children's book and we were divided up into groups. And each group had to take a few chapters and adapt it as if it was a play. And then put it all together, and there was a script now to to put this book on stage. And we performed it for the entire school. And for me, it was a magical, life-changing experience because we not only took a book that was wonderful, but we got to perform it live. And I thought, this is what I want to do. I want to write books, and I want to write plays, and I want to have the stories that come out of my imagination be read by and experienced by all kinds of other people Mm -hmm. and so I asked for a typewriter and my grandparents gave me this old typewriter and I I sat down and just started typing. Uh I started writing it and I got about halfway through and then I had no idea what to happen next Mm -hmm. and it's sitting in a drawer waiting for me to finish it to this day and I learned from that never write without an outline. Mm -hmm. So it kind of affected the way I approach writing for the rest of my life. I don't ever just start writing and see where it goes. I always carefully work out my story, carefully think through my characters before I even start on page one. And I was off to the races after that. I just kept writing skits and plays for school. And through high school and college, it was my goal to be an author.
1: Right. And and where, do, do you have a sense of where your stories come from?
0: Where do all my stories come from? I think that everything is inspired by some little kernel somewhere, just like my first Jane Austen novel was inspired by watching the movie um, Shakespeare? Shakespeare in Love. Yeah. And thinking, oh, I love this movie. I wonder what inspired Jane Austen to write her first novel, and was she ever in love, and did any of that impact what she wrote? And, and that is what inspired The Lost Memories of Jane Austen. I thought, okay, he, what if she'd had this great romance that inspired her first novel, Sense and Sensibility, and she'd already written a draft of it, and she was unhappy with it, and she, what if she had this great romance that inspired her to go back to it, and revise and revise until it became what we know today a sense and sensibility. Mm-hmm. So that was the inspiration for that story. I love researching, I think it's one of my favorite aspects of being a writer. I'm learning about another subject, another profession, another era. It's so interesting. I have shelves and shelves of books about 19th century England, about what. It was like to live back then and about the people, about the professions, about every aspect of life in that era, which I think is so important to get the details right. Mm. For my book, Jane Austen's First Love, that was inspired by mentions in Jane Austen's letters about a young man called Edward Taylor, who she very clearly had a deep crush on. And scholars in all of her biographies would give him just a couple of sentences. Hmm. He was this very shadowy figure who they said, clearly Jane was deeply enamored of Edward Taylor, but not much is known about him. So I started doing research about him. I was fascinated. Who was Jane in love with as a teenager? Who Hmm. was Edward Taylor? And I found little ghost-like Appearances here and there of his name and little bits of information about him.
1: And so, where were you doing this research where you in started to, to in
0: find this and for like little book ghosts of information? In the beginning, um, I was looking on the internet. Mm-hmm. And then um, I found the most incredible thing when I can't even remember now how I did. I think I was researching his brothers. I found a site that listed his family and I learned about. Um, his history and how his family had owned this uh, manor home called Byfrens in Kent since the 1600s, and uh, which was fascinating to me to know that he was actually a wealthy young man who came from a family with eight siblings and this gorgeous home in Kent. So then I knew how she met him, because she often went to Kent with her family. Right. And I was looking up all of his siblings and found out that one of his brothers was knighted and served as secretary to King George Third and wrote his memoirs. Hmm. And in his memoirs, this Sir Herbert Taylor, he wrote about his entire childhood, which, of course, was his brother Edward Taylor's childhood as well. And the entire family, they, they moved to Europe when all the children were small. And they were all raised in Europe, traveling all over from country to country. They learned to speak five languages fluently. They learned to play musical instruments and they performed for royalty. And they were very well-read and tutored by private masters. And so this history told me what Edward Taylor's life was like. So by the time he was 17 years old when Jane met him, he must have been the most fascinating young man she'd ever met. Hmm, right, Far different from anybody else she met. Were the other people
1: more kind of just people who were in in the
0: immediate area where she was living she, yes, and then she where lived, she would go visit? Yes, she lived in this tiny little hamlet called Steventon, and so she wouldn't have really been able to meet all that many people. And even, even visiting in Kent... Uh, where her her brother, who also also was named Edward, where her brother lived. And he um, became engaged to a woman called Elizabeth Bridges, who lived at Gunston Park. And so I know that Jane and her family went there many times. And that's where she would have met Edward Taylor, Mm -hmm. who was a cousin to the Bridges family. So that's all connected. Mm -hmm. And young men didn't go off on a tour of Europe, the Grand Tour, which is so famous. They didn't do that until after they graduated from Oxford or Cambridge when mm-hmm. they were much older and only if the family had money. So for her to meet someone when she was a young teenager who was extremely worldly, well-traveled, spoke all these languages, was well-read, she must have just been you know, head over heels in love with him. So I took that and ran with it and had the best time creating... The summer that they met and fell in love in kent and i went to kent and i actually visited gunston park which is the home where this story takes place and where she was visiting and um, it's still there Mm -hmm. 200 plus years later wow and i was given a private tour of the house and so i was able to set the story in the exact house where it happened
1: how exciting
0: (laughs) it was a lot of fun Do you know what happened to him in real life? I do, because he's mentioned in his brother's memoirs. He eventually uh, married and had quite a few children and continued to travel. And then tell us
1: a little bit about how you did the research for your Charlotte Bronte book.
0: Well, I loved the book Jane Eyre so much. I wanted to find out why did Charlotte Bronte write that novel, what inspired her. And so I started reading biographies of her and discovered that a lot of what goes on in that novel is autobiographical. And I was fascinated. So um went to England and visited every known site where Charlotte lived or visited herself. I We visited the one of the schools that she attended and got a private tour of the school, um, visited... Howarth Parsonage, where she lived almost her entire life and got to spend a couple of hours in the library there looking at actual documents, letters, stories, and little tiny books written by the Bronte children, and which was thrilling. And being in that house where she lived almost all her life and being in her school really helped bring her life to life for me. I Read all 500 of her preserved letters, which have, there's a lot in her letters that corresponds to scenes in her books. Mm -hmm. And you can see the parallel. Here she was in Brussels at one point and she went to visit a church and she just was inspired, spur of the moment, to confess to the priest, even though she was Church of England. And then that exact scene occurs in her novel, Viette. So, just really interesting to see how she created Mr. Rochester in her book, Jane Eyre, a character that women swoon over, and he's like a combination of a childhood hero that she invented and wrote about and her Belgian professor who she fell in love with when she was studying in Brussels for two years, a married man who she couldn't have, Hmm. who's described exactly in Jane Eyre, the way Monsieur Anger actually looked short and dark and cigar smoking. It was really interesting. So I had a lot of fun writing that novel, doing the research and taking the knowledge of what occurred in her life and showing her living her life and having it spill over into her fiction.
1: Right. Do you think that you bring qualities of your own experience into your books in the way that you know you're talking about Charlotte Bronte did with her books?
0: I think every writer does. I think it's inescapable and I think part of it was me really relating to Charlotte and Jane because we both love to write. One of Charlotte's famous quotes that she wrote she just sat down she was writing in sort of a memoir little sheets of paper that she kept as her memoirs and one of them was I'm writing because I simply cannot help it. Hmm. And I so relate to that. Sometimes I just have to be writing something. Mm -hmm. And I related to each of these women and their desire to tell stories. And even if it never got published, it was just so important to them to tell stories. Right. So, and I'm sure there's other aspects of my life that find their way into
1: my fiction. Yes, of course. It'll be to uh, the next novelist to find out what they are. One aspect of the two books that we've talked about, your uh, Jane Austen books, and then your book about Charlotte Bronte, are that these authors who tell stories about other people get to a chance to tell their story in your book. And that's also a feature of your book, Dracula, My Love. In in this case, it's one of the characters in the book, the original book, Dracula, who gets to tell her story, her perspective in your book, Dracula, My Love.
0: That was um, a really fun book to write. I decided to tell Mina Harker's untold story. Um, Dracula, which is a brilliant novel, was really the first novel um, about a vampire and the way we think of vampires today. Um, Bram Stoker invented this character and he gave him all these powers. He could turn into a wolf. He could appear out of a puff of smoke and he could turn into a bird and fly away and he could also meld his mind with yours. All these wonderful ideas but he didn't really do anything interesting with all of those powers and then he has five unreliable narrators telling the story. And I thought, what if something very different was actually going on in that story? Um, Dracula is portrayed as an old, evil man who just kills women. Um, He was sexed up in the movie versions, but he wasn't like that at all in the novel. And I thought, if you were Dracula and you were hundreds of years old, And you had all these powers, and you could also appear younger at will. Wouldn't you appear as the most beautiful version of yourself in front of the woman you wanted to woo? Of course you would. So I thought, what if all the bad things attributed to Dracula in that novel didn't happen exactly the way we think, and he was misunderstood? And what if he's actually this amazing, charismatic guy? who Mina fell in love with, but she could never, ever admit that to anyone because, first of all, she was married, and second of all, he was a vampire. So this very romantic story started brewing in my head, and an alternate explanation for everything in the novel Dracula is what poured out of me in this book, and I had such a great time writing and I fell madly in love with my version of Dracula. Yeah, he's very sexy. (laughs) Thank you. So my husband, who at the time thought vampires were just awful, he said, I don't know why you're writing this book. I'm not going to like it. There's no way you can turn Dracula into a hero. So when I finished it, I, as always, wanted him to be the litmus test, the first person to read the manuscript. And he was very reluctant. He sat down on a Saturday with a big cup of coffee, not very excited about reading this book, and he started in and he kept reading straight through till one o'clock in the morning with only the briefest stop for dinner. He said, "I love this guy. <laughs> I really hope you're not going to kill him off in the end." And he spent all day Sunday reading, and then he did something he had never done before or since he he called in sick on Monday so he could stay home and finish the manuscript and find out what happened. <laughs> And I thought, okay, if I could sell Bill on this story, then I can sell anybody.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting because your your first reader and one of your best readers I know is your son. Um, they're they're both men, and these are romance novels. Uh, they are uh, love stories. They are books that are probably sold to women. And your first readers are actually men, That's and, true. and men respond really positively. That's true. To them. Re-
0: Reader number two was my son Ryan, who absolutely loved it, and he had all kinds of great suggestions too. So that is kind of fun. And then Ryan and I wrote uh, a book together, Forbidden, which was the first my first experience in co-writing, and um, we decided no more no vampires this time. It would be about angels
1: you had a career as a screenwriter before you decided to uh, embarked on your Jane Austen novel. Tell us a little bit about that. Talk a little bit about your experience of working in Hollywood.
0: Well, it was a lot of fun. I got into it because I just wanted to uh, challenge myself and write something I'd never written before. And I love the movies, so decided to write a screenplay. I taught myself how to write a screenplay. I studied it. I I wrote a medical thriller, which was the hardest possible genre to ever tackle, especially if you're not a member of the medical profession. But I put in a lot of research, and I wrote it. And it got into the hands of a producer who said, I want to option this, and I'd like you to write for my TV show. Mm. It was truly a fairy tale beginning for a, a neophyte writer right. and the first outline I wrote for a tv episode they said it was so long it would be a mini series but somehow they believed in me and I wrote three episodes for their tv show and then I went on to have a career for many years writing scripts in every genre you can think of but the main essence of what I was writing. There was always a love story, because mm-hmm. that's really what I'm interested in, is is the dynamics between two people overcoming obstacles and falling in love. It was a lot of fun to work in Hollywood. I met Dolly Parton. I wrote a musical for her. She made me a bologna sandwich on white bread, which was her favorite sandwich and she sang 14 original songs for me sitting on her living room couch. I um, had movies made and I got to go on the set and appear as an extra. I had flown to Alabama to meet the deaf Miss America and to Nashville to interview a country music star and it was really a great ride. Could you talk
1: a little bit about the difference between writing a screenplay and writing a novel?
0: Oh, that's such a wonderful subject because they're very different, and yet at at their essence, they're the same. They are a story of people who rise above challenges and who go on a journey, and when you're excited to see how it's all going to turn out, whether it's a two-hour movie or a novella or a long novel, you're still on a journey with a person, and that's what excites me about writing. When you write a script, it's more of an outline with dialogue. So it goes a lot faster. And you can really just concentrate on the structure of the story. And it's more of a challenge to get the emotions of the characters across on the page, because you have no time to really talk in, in the action about what's going on in just a couple of sentences mm-hmm. it can't be more than 120 pages long no scene can be more than about two and a half pages dialogue we, they don't usually want big speeches so it's got its limits and it's challenging mm-hmm. on the other hand when you write a book it's so exciting it's like all the all the fetters are off and you can let your imagination go you get to describe people and places and thoughts and feelings and food and sounds and fragrances and you really can get into someone's mind and it's really so much fun Mm -hmm. to write a book so it takes a lot longer Mm -hmm. so each one has their rewards and challenges
1: Right. And recently, I know that you've written a screenplay, a romantic comedy. So after writing nine novels, or ten or so, what has drawn you to screenwriting again?
0: I just love the movies. and uh, We see several movies a week at the Writers Guild of America, and then we come home and watch another movie when we get home. And Movies transport you to another place. Time, another place, it's so magical, and I especially love romantic comedy. I guess on my bucket list, I always had the dream to write a great romantic comedy, and an idea for one came to me, and I just couldn't think about anything else, so I've been working on it. Yeah, And it's been so much fun to work on that. And at the same time, um, I'm, you know writing books yeah so how
1: did you decide that that idea should be a movie versus a book since now you do both
0: well interesting because i'm tempted to take the screenplay and also write it as a novel but the idea first downloaded into my brain as a movie because it was um, kind of inspired by all my favorite moments from all of my favorite romantic comedies and i thought okay there's some Elements of this that I would like to take and turn it on its head and twist it into
1: something new myself. So I know that uh, you've mostly written by yourself. You've also written with one of your sons, but mostly writing is kind of a lonely occupation. The character is in your head to keep you company, but you're pretty much sitting at the computer by yourself day after day. How do you, with no colleagues to collaborate with, nobody really to be bouncing ideas off of, who's really in there with you every day, how do
0: you keep yourself going? I think my characters are keeping me going. And they become so real to me that very quickly after I have um, worked on the story and worked on the character bios and gotten to know who these people are, I'm so excited about spending time with them and seeing what they're going to do mm. that I can't wait to get up there and start working again. I go up and turn on my computer, and my outline will say you know, something vague like, um, they meet again at the wedding. Mm-hmm. And that's all it says. And I have no idea what's going to happen at that wedding or why I felt that they were supposed to meet at a wedding, and I, but I knew they were. Mm-hmm. And then I start writing, and all these things start happening and that I didn't expect to happen. I didn't expect them to say. And sometimes it all fits together so neatly as if it was absolutely planned. And that gives you a real high as a writer. And so then how do, you, how do you let them go once
1: you've spent so much time with them? You, you come to the end and you have to sort of say goodbye to them. What's that like?
0: I don't think I ever feel like I say goodbye to them. First of all, every script and every book has so many rewrites. Um, by the time you are done, you're kind of ready to be done with that particular part of the story. Mm -hmm. Um, So many of the things I've written, I have imagined sequels. Mm. And so the characters do continue to live on. I have quite a few books where people, readers have asked me, please write a sequel, please write a sequel. And so in my mind, I sometimes go back to them and I start imagining where they are now. Mm -hmm. And they're all still alive somewhere in my head waiting for me to continue their story. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. (laughs) They're still in there.
1: (laughs) So like everybody who does anything, you've experienced some dead ends and roadblocks during your career as a writer, as a screenwriter and a novelist. What keeps you persevering? When you get discouraged, what keeps you going?
0: Well, I think Steve Jobs once said the only difference between people who succeed and people who don't is perseverance. You want to achieve something, you just have to keep going. That kind of thinking is, I think, essential to success no matter what it is you decide you want to do. It's the people who show up and who keep trying and refuse to admit defeat, who stay at the party till the very end, are the ones who are going to achieve whatever it is that they've been going for. So... Um, I think part of it is that I have a really supportive husband and a really supportive family. Mm -hmm. When I write, my husband's the first person to read it, and my sons and my daughter-in-laws are next in line, and they give me fabulous feedback, encouragement, and support. And that's always really helpful. And um, I I start on a project, and I really believe in it, and I'm not going to give up until... It either gets where I imagine that it's supposed to go or I feel like it's time to accept it as a learning experience and move on to something new. But I just love to write so much I can't imagine not writing.
1: Just to wrap up, um, I wanted to ask you about your name, Siri, which (laughs) is uh, sort of unusual. Uh, Of course, now anybody who uses any Apple products uh, knows a Siri uh, with a a name spelled differently than yours. But I'm sure for most of your life, you've had to repeat your name or, or spell your name. And so I thought I would just ask you about your name and what you know about it.
0: It's really hard to have a name that's different or weird. And my name, no one had ever heard of for all of my life until just a couple of years ago. So I would introduce myself and people would say, what, how do you spell that? Where did that come from? My mother claims that when she was a very little girl, she heard a radio show with a character named Siri and she liked the sound of it. So she always had that in the back of her mind that if she ever had a daughter, she would name her Siri. And then she invented the spelling. And I just wish she was alive today to see what has become of the name that she thought was the most unique name in the world. Because everywhere I go now, I hear people saying, Siri, Siri, Siri. So I feel like they're talking to me. <laughs> and when I introduce myself, now people just laugh. Uh-huh. And they say, is it true that you know everything? <laughs> and I say, Yes. <laughs> and they say do you talk to yourself and i say oh, all the time so it's kind of fun now having a name that's recognizable when i give my name at a restaurant i just say siri and i don't have to spell it anymore they don't spell it right but that's okay that's all right right <laughs> they know <that laughs> they remember it <laughs> yeah. they always smile <laughs> well thanks so much
1: siri for chatting with me today i really appreciate it thanks diane it's been fun thanks That's it for today's episode. Thank you, Siri, for speaking with me about your life as a writer, your creative process, and what keeps you excited and energized about your work. You can learn more about Siri and her books at sirijames.com. If you haven't yet, subscribe to Real with Diane McDaniel on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love to hear from you. Let us know why you listened and what you like about The Real Podcast. Please rate the show and leave a review on iTunes. Follow Real on Twitter at RealThePodcast and reach us at RealThePodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, I'm Diane McDaniel. Thanks for listening.